Welcome to the First Time Go podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Ducek. Today is July 4th, United States birthday and an internal debate with Thanksgiving for my favorite holiday. Or does it have to be one or the other? Both holidays are about appreciation. This conversation with Matan Hamam, an NYU student bringing a film called Gever to Life, covers almost everything I love. New York, NYU, military service, but most importantly, it highlights an artist creating something in the world and going hard after his dream. Matan grew up in the Bay Area and traveled to Israel every summer. His family served in the Israeli military, and the story of Gever came from those trips and conversations. His extraordinary focus on listening to veterans gives hope that there are more stories like this to be told by filmmakers. After you listen to this conversation, I think you'll want to pick up a camera and tell a story. Welcome to the First Time Go podcast, Matan Hamam. Matan, how are you this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, absolutely. Well, thanks for joining me. When I saw your project, I thought, wow, this project really relates to somebody who served in the military. I thought it really set the tone of what it's like to do military service. And I wanted to reach out and talk to you. Can you trace the journey that took you to NYU and what made you decide to get into filmmaking? Yeah, I mean, that story goes back, um, honestly, to somewhat of a cliche degree. I've always loved film. I kind of was into like magic tricks as a, as a kid and was doing these magical videos. And I got a tape camera from my mom and kind of figured out that if, you know, you press record and then I had my sister press stop recording and I left the frame and then I pressed record again. When I rolled back the tape and watched it, I'd vanish and kind of, <laughs> it was all used as kind of a tool just to do my magic tricks. And then, you know, if I'm vanishing, maybe I should have a story of why I vanished. So maybe I picked up a rock and the rock has magical powers and the rock makes you vanish. And then right. I, I should probably have an ending to that story. So maybe I end up vanishing my whole family and then I'm all alone and I bring them all come back. And that's a little movie. <laughs> and I realized that like what I was really into was making these short films. And so I kind of started doing them as much as I could. And then throughout like middle school and high school, like every assignment that could be a video would be a video. Like I just didn't write a paper basically for four years and just would do every assignment. It's like I make a short film for my history project, my bio project or whatever. And around the same time, I had gotten more serious about, I think I want to do this as a career. And I had kind of started working freelance doing because I had taught myself how to edit along this journey, switching from a tape camera to a real camera. And, and how old were you at this point? I was probably around, still pretty young. I think I was probably 12. Okay. I had gotten, I had a family friend who was like, he would edit for like the school. He would edit like the elementary schools, like back to school video and things like that. And I thought it was incredible. Right. He had a software that I could edit. I was literally editing, you know, I was a kid. I had this tape camera for my mom. So I was editing in the camera. And so I got like for my Hanukkah gift one year, I got, it was called Wii Video, which was like a um, knockoff premiere. And then the next year, I proved myself that it was worth spending the premiere money. I got like a student, <laughs> I got CS5, I think it was at the time. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and that was the coolest thing in the world because suddenly you know, there's all these built-in effects and after effects. And I was like, I, I fell in love with it. And it was kind of like what I spent my time. I started an after effects club in my middle school that had two members and stuff like that. And I was started kind of just doing editing, like for work. I edited, you know, my friends bar mitzvah video and I would do someone had like a corporate collection of clips that they wanted to do from the retreat and I cut that together and by high school I was making not good money but that was kind of like what my day job was like right. all the kids were you know raking lawns and I was editing these videos and Matan where where um, was this where were you now this is in Cal it's in the Bay Area okay basically throughout this time I kind of had decided that 
I think this might be a thing I want to do for real and kind of in this like storytelling narrative direction. And I had worked on, at this point, later in high school, um, this is when I'm senior, like the local um, like youth theater kind of program. Right. It was really big in the Bay Area. It's in San Jose, like this huge fun. And they were doing these videos. And I had worked on the short film and someone referred me. So I was kind of the camera guy for this these productions. And we were doing actually, um, it was, I think it was a cover of like Rent, some songs from Rent that we were putting oh, cool. on. And the performers were so talented. And I didn't, the director, I was kind of just there to film it. And the director of that program, um, this guy, Giancamo, who I worked with since, and he's in New York, was so incredible. And the amount of work and effort all these performers are putting in, everyone on there like, was giving so much. And these were all like, you know, musical theater kids that decided from age two that they were going to do, you know, right. pursue this career. And I was surrounded by so much like creativity and energy and talent. I remember I went home and I was like, Knowing that that's a job that someone does, I don't think I can do anything else ever again. That's so like, I just It was this big kind of like click moment of like having been through that night of like this many creative people just doing what they love. I need to do whatever I can to make that into a career. And I kind of was like, it was a tip I heard like being an octopus, right? Which is like get your things everywhere you can. Right. So I was doing stand-up comedy at this time. And I was doing sketch comedy and a little bit of improv and kind of like any sort of outlet I could find that was putting me in contact with people. And I made a short film that free some friends in the comedy world got shown to someone who was at comedy central what? that's so cool and it was just like a phone call like hey i you know saw this thing good job man and i kind of tried i chased it down i got on some calls and tried to kind of have some advice and eventually i asked right. him like what should i do and he was kind of he said like i'd go to, me go to film school and at that point i was super like anti-film school right. i actually dropped out of high school at some point during this process when i was doing stand-up fully and I went abroad to Italy for a semester and I was kind of like, I'm going to just leave. And right. that was a whole different story of I can go into um, <laughs> on yeah, why I dropped everything kind of went to Italy. But at the end, he convinced me out of the community college. I was there for a year and I kind of was like, hey, this college thing is actually maybe important. I, I was working, I was doing music videos and I was, I think, reaching a place where I could have maybe done this move to LA and just done filmmaking full time. Right. But at community college, I was taking these philosophy classes and psychology classes, and I was like, college education might have something behind it. <laughs> and when I was trying to think about what has the right combo of like really serious about film the way I think I'm serious about film right. and education, I, I knew I, I thought I was going to go to LA eventually. I didn't want to go there. And I was like, I think I want to go to NYU and you know Spike Lee and Scorsese and Jeffrey right. Darmish and all these big heroes of right. filmmaking that I loved were at NYU. And I was like, yeah. It was the only school I applied to. That's um, awesome. I was like, I'm going to go call. I'm going to apply. If I don't get in, I'll figure it out. I'll do something else. I'll travel. And it worked out. And I, I got in and moved to New York. And that was two years ago. So I've been here for two years. And it's it's been a dream being in New York, making movies. It's it's hard to ask for more. And it's everything you expected. Like, I know there's some debate about whether it's better to just be going out there, filming, doing everything that you can to to make pictures rather than go to school for it. Have you found that, and it sounds like maybe you had that debate uh, already with, you know, yourself. I mean, there is, there is no article of film school or not film school that I didn't read. I, I think I can stand by that. I have watched every single video on YouTube <laughs> about if you should or shouldn't go. And I was kind of debating and I was watching them while I was in film school. I was like, my first year, I was actually super, I complained all the time to anybody who would listen, including professors what is this program? And I'm like, okay, I'm already in a bunch of debt. I'm going to add a bunch more debt. Like, right. what's the point of this? And it was like, um, I can go make nine movies for the cost of this week that I spent here. Like, what am right. I doing? 
And it actually wasn't really until near the end of my second year that kind of, I didn't have any connections in the film industry. I'd managed to make some people that I knew. I'd gone out to some sets in the Bay Area. There's a, a bit of a film scene there. I, you know, managed to meet one person here or there, but I had nothing. And being in film school, whatever that it puts you in, really put you in a position where for the first time in, you know, the decade that I was seriously trying to do filmmaking, the ball felt like it was in my court, where it really was like, listen, you have people around you here right. that are as industry as it as it gets. Right. Um, you're surrounded by students who are as passionate as you. They're, you know, they're your age, they're hungry, they're there to create, they're fueling you, you're fueling them. And all you need to do now is go make a movie. And I think that a hundred percent you can do that without film school. I think right. I mean I'd made some films without film school, but I think a lot of people don't and won't. It's right. really hard. It's really, really, really hard to make a movie. And it's really hard to make a movie if it's not a bunch of other young guys and girls who are also passionate about trying to make this movie right. around you. Who, When you're down, they're there to pick you up. And they're, you know, everybody's making their movie. So you're kind of like right. peer pressured into making a movie. It's a much right. better thing to be peer pressured into than, you know, anything else. And that community is like, it's not, you don't have to go to NYU by any means. Like I, some my community college had a program where I could have gone directly into UCLA and paid much less money. I was just like somewhat, number blind and you know right. like, eh, i'll pay it off at some point and i wanted to go to new york and we'll see if that that works itself <laughs> out um but getting to be in that community and it really took a year of like letting go of whatever this conception of like i'm going to be you right and just kind of also a lot of it was like i just need to make my movies and i made a film here and got to work with some amazing crew and people and some amazing filmmakers in the grad school who have collaborated and worked with and gone to go on with and who are working on this new film with me and that environment became suddenly this like crazy lucky opportunity and this incubator of like making films and you know, getting to work with you know kind of spike lee says hi to me when i walk into the hall sometimes oh, that's you know that's fantastic. that's fantastic yeah so before i ask you about your film i wanted to ask you about the relationship between the military and israel which is sort of a topic of the film is it like for a college student in israel is the military serving the military more top of mind than say your fellow students at NYU. Well, if you're a college student in Israel, you you're a veteran. It, it's one of the things that I think is really unique about Israel, more so than almost anywhere in the world. Which is there's six countries in, in the world that have a mandatory draft of both genders. Okay, Israel has double the length of every other country of service for both men and women. It's also one of, of the six, the only one in serious active combat over the last seventy years. Right. Even I mean, you know, all these different positions, and you know, a lot of my friends are, you know, a friend was a chef, and a friend was a driver in the army. And, right. Um, it splits, but every single person you talk to in Israel who's older than eighteen, for the most part, is either in the military or has served in the military. Okay. For at least three years, if you, girls are two years and a month, and guys are three years. Okay. But many are much longer. So both my parents, my dad served for ten years in the air force. My mom was in the navy. So were my aunts and uncles. So are all my cousins. So right. every single person I met will meet. Like it's a, it's really it's, it's it's a very unique case where the kind of difference in culture that exists in Israel compared to the U.S., but then also the similarities that kind of exist within just what it is to be young, right, became the basis for this film. Where and we can dive into it more. But like there was this whole thing that I was hearing. I remember even being younger, being kind of in high school, being 16, 17 years old, and hearing from my older friends who were in college stories about hazing, which was like you know very dumb fraternity, like you know some kid who had to eat you know an entire right. cake in pieces unbaked or someone who you know had balloons attached to them or whatever right. and being like that's kind of stupid or something why do you do that and they were like yeah what can you say it's part of it 
And you hear the same stories on these incredibly potentially traumatic, potentially life-threatening situations that are with the same level of casualness and the kind of way you grow up and coming of age sort of storytelling because that's what is normal and also what is has to be normal because you can't you know if you're you're serving on a line where every single day you know you know that you might be shot that day right you can't like and you're you know 18 years old you can't do that like you're on a break so you it becomes like dude here's this crazy funny story this woman got shot in front of me yesterday and this happened right and i can hear that and be like that's oh my god are you okay are you in therapy and this is a true story where i was like yeah i'm fine i was you know i was far enough away nothing got on me or anything uh, and i was like job. Uh, yeah i guess i'm good and he goes what happened to the person that was you know next to them and they go ah he kind of like it's a whole thing he can't like finish his food all the way because he sees her face in the bottom of the plate of everything he eats now so he's, he's dealing with it but he'll be fine next topic how's school Um, and there was something in that experience that felt extremely alien and at the same time very universal right and kind of whatever storytelling parts of me that exist were like this is something that what this is doing to me right now is the thing that i think more people will benefit from thinking about because also just like really changed the way i thought about i really romanticized the army in israel because it's it's you know it's, it's a huge part of the honor and pride and culture of israel right it also is this really complicated situation that is extended and is israel's been in a deadlock for the last very long amount of time and people in israel and the u.s and around the world are kind of like not throwing in the towel but it's been a kind of sense of like eh, it's will there ever be peace in the middle east and there's this right. kind of interesting thing of like a lot of people could ask that question without having to think about what that looks like. And I kind of wanted to make a film that would make you think twice about being like, eh, will there ever be peace? Knowing what you're saying, eh, to. That's so fantastic. So I'm really excited to hear more about how the film Gever came to be. Where, how did yeah. it start to talk a little bit about the idea, but can you trace from the the initial idea to where it is now? Yeah, so two years ago, I was in Israel, I was working on a film, and my cousin actually had just started serving. And I, I it's the thing I do pretty often is kind of if I meet someone new or um, I'd known him kind of, I'd seen him, I used to go to Israel every summer. So I kind of seen this person grow up in these very kind of like right. spurt ways. We'd both seen each other. Like we were very, we were very friendly, but then like keep up when I was not in Israel. So it was always kind of like a big catch up. And I wanted to hear it because he knew I was doing films, movies. And I was telling him like, wouldn't be so cool to do a movie about your first year in the army? Do you have any cool stories you want to tell? <laughs> and do you have any funny stories? I really wanted funny stories. Because I right. was doing a lot of stand-up, a lot of comedy. And I was like, right. in my head, I was still in that same kind of like, you know, 10-year-old with a camera where I was like, you, you have a gun that you get to use. That's so cool you have army uniform we'd probably like put together some sort of thing at such good production value like a gun's so expensive to rent i guess it's perfect and yeah. he <laughs> told me a story about someone who was shot and he's a combat medic and him and his friend were rushed in to provide aid and they're lifting this woman away and he's carrying her feet and someone else is holding her by the head and the person asks him wait where was this woman shot and he goes i don't know and he looked at his the way he described it his thumb was in the bullet hole of her head wow. and the guy was like ew, ew and he dropped her and was like grossed out right so we're gonna walk together and tell him the story and i'm very quiet and he goes not funny and i goes uh not that funny i don't think so i I think it's really horrifying are you okay and he goes "Ah, i'll think of another story 
<laughs> and that kind of started. It was this first time where I really kind of it clicked into my head. Right. Also that the same kids who I was like messing around with, you know, playing video games with on my grandma's couch weren't just like, oh, in the military. Because I also, I know a lot of friends who were in the military and like, you know, right. administrative positions and things like that. Like these people were at times on the front lines and actually right. a lot of them were. And I'd always thought of this, my friend is very mature and that, but he was still a kid. He was still my, like this, my buddy. Right. And it, even in the context of how much he was able to process, I guess, in this kind of way of thinking about it for humor and thinking about it lightly and thinking of it very matter-of-factly beneath that i was like there, there was a mechanism used to deal with that that was not innate that i didn't have to have and everybody i knew back in the u.s didn't have to have who was the same age with their big experience was that had to carry their friend who peed over themselves because they right. got too drunk at a party and so i said hey like, can i start talking to you and your and your other soldiers you serve with i'm really curious to hear stories and set up and he said sure and we kind of for the next year and a half or so every month for two months i'd hop on a zoom call with him and ask him about what he did in the last month and ask him his friends what they've been up to and just got to kind of have this dialogue while at the same time having this kind of other conversation with my best friend since i was in the second grade family was Palestinian and, and his aunt was like a poet and their whole family is very proud and has a good connection to their culture and at the same time as kind of having these conversations with soldiers having these conversations and engaging with the art and poetry and films that were coming out of Palestinian artists and filmmakers and getting to really hear and I think appreciate this side of the experience and be, and be removed from it being this kind of neutral third party who I'm really proud to be Israeli and Israeli art and, and the culture and I think it's wonderful but also realizing that there's a place to credit that you know part of being proud is to criticize and to think about what is this whole other side to the story. And a couple months in, one of my friends told me the story that the big joke on the base for the last month was that there was a construction site on a fence post along the Western Wall and someone had tried to drive a car into the construction site and the car crashed and a woman got out of the car with a knife and ran at them and someone shot her. She ran, it was attacked, they all had to stop, she didn't stop, she was shot. And they ran up and they cut open her shirt to start doing CPR and to put on a defibrillator. And there was a religious soldier who was, Tindri was raised in this kind of Orthodox Jewish community, but had decided to serve and wore a kippah and they all kind of was just staring. Right. And they all realized it was his first time he'd ever seen a pair of breasts. And the commander kind of came and gave him like a chuck on the head and kind of woke him up and you know, they were all making jokes about it the entire time. They were kind of like pulling her close and he was like, stop it, stop it. And right. they were, the whole thing ended up being operationally very efficient, but then later became this huge joke and this nicknames. Right. And then, of course. And that story, like right away, every single spidey sense that exists this, you know, the filmmaker was like, there is something that is not normal, right? right? Like, that's not a thing that's like, there is something very, very human in the interaction that exactly. is, you, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are, you can recognize right. the absurdity and the irony in that situation and realize there's something here in the system and operation that is hard to ignore. And it's rare for stories like that to come up. And I kind right. of knew I had to kind of chase it. And so over the course of the next couple of months, I kind of tried to tackle this into a script and bring in some of the elements of like what I had felt my own personal interpretation and feelings on the situation in Israel politically, as well as what I've been experiencing in college and seeing this kind of culture around both toxic masculinity, but also the camaraderie that comes with how much that's used as a tool, how much that's needed, the negative parts of what happens when what you need is masculine energy to feel safe. Right. And really kind of get to this place where like what was so beneficial about hearing that story for me was the amount of questions that you want to ask and the people that I went and asked. And I realized that I it was the first time really, I think, in the, my film making where like a topic left me wanting just to talk about it so much where every time right. I talked about it I understood a new way of it I felt like I had a new understanding of war is universal and over a couple of versions and drafts it became the script and I got some really 
great help at NYU. And I kind of got to work with the dean of NYU, which was really cool, Ezra Zaks, and workshop the script into a new place and got to meet with some incredible professors in the grad program. Sam Zwabi, who's a really amazing Israeli-Palestinian filmmaker who's made a really good film called Tell You on Fire. And got to see him hear about the script and his perspective and his take and get the script to this place where I think we were all really excited about it. Right. And now bringing it off into, uh, into production. That's so exciting. So I think you've set a $60,000 budget for it. Yeah. And you're looking to raise $15,000 on Seed and Spark. What are the plans to get to the full goal? So yeah, I, I'm putting in basically everything I've ever made, which will, one, I think it's, I, if you're asking anybody else to put their own money in, I think it's, right. I've always found it interesting. There's a lot of filmmakers who will, you know, they're telling me they're crowdfunding and just, they don't know how to fund the campaign and they're on drink number seven at the bar. And it's like, that's, you know, that could have bought you a walkie-talkie. <laughs> and so that's kind of providing almost matching to what the crowdfunding is going to be. So that's awesome. And then we were super lucky that we reached out to a bunch of people and got a lot of people who were interested or thought it was a bit too controversial or whatever. But we got one person who seemed to really understand the message of the film and the storytelling behind it and like kind of the actors that we were going after and seemed That's to be interested fantastic. and kind of came in as this angel investor and put in a really big chunk of it. And then equally as exciting was kind of finding all these other different family friends along the way, friends, family, friends who also kind of found the story inspiring or important and really just wanted right. to kind of support the artistry of it, which is really exciting, who put in kind of crack filling pockets of you know a thousand here and right that here we're still like trying to figure out how the like the funding is on the way very much we're hoping that it all manages to work out and, and we can do it and prepare it to you know if nothing's get cut and adjusted i think was right. ultimately what's most important is to tell the story so prepare it to kind of make it for half and that's what we end up with really what's been nice is kind of having this feeling of excitement of like this is this i think showing it to people who can recognize this is a story that can maybe go beyond just right. this 15-minute short film and getting to kind of hopefully be a part of that process and then that spreading it and sharing it and bringing it into reality. That's fantastic because it really does combine the absurdity of military life with some heavy issues. I'm so excited to be able to see it. How does a soldier feel about the film? Have uh, you heard about what their thoughts are? I remember I sent him one of the first drafts and it was super, you know, I did a lot of research going into the project about military, military culture and, you know, what unit he's in, but a right. lot of that kind of goes out the window when I'm writing, because which I think is okay. I think what you're writing is you're focusing on the story and the people that right. you can come back and add it. But I was so nervous that he'd come back and be like, this is the most American. Right. That was like, I, was t- I, I was just terrified and, and our lead actor who is also Israeli-American, he was like, we were so scared of people seeing it as like some Americans coming in trying to tell the story and know what they're talking about. And every single draft we sent to someone in Israel because again it really everybody in Israel is a, is, a, is a veteran of the army right. that we're talking about so there's always a lot of high stakes said uh, damn I know that's a good story and I was like there you go um, and we felt good about it he said like make sure I'm going to have a credit and I was like sure whatever you want and he was like cool 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 <laughs> he was just happy he was just happy they were making a movie he wants us to name the character after him that's awesome yeah, no, it's a it's a great military story. I think it's going to have universal appeal from veterans, non-veterans. So I know you talked about how you're glad you went to NYU Tisch. They produce so many great innovative filmmakers. Is it a combination of specifically the program and just being in New York City or another reason? I think being in New York is a big part of it, actually. And I think the way NYU structures this class, especially if you – NYU molds – 
I think in a really great way, I've realized this to what you need it to be, where if you need someone to hold your hand and kind of guide you and push you, they have those resources. They're also there and know that it's going to happen and welcome you to kind of do your own thing and bring it back and use them as a resource. Um, and within that, some of the, the faculty that come in, especially the adjuncts or these kind of people who are working film professionals who are coming with a passion and enthusiasm for storytelling and for the kind of vibe that is New York City, which is rugged and indie and creative and is not really based on like, I think a lot of filmmakers here are the ones who do the best are not people who are here because they want to make a movie because they want to tell a story. Right. I think that's something somewhat unique to NYU where the I think a lot of people come to NYU because they have all these stories they want to tell and they don't know how to tell it and they think film is the best medium versus wanting to make a movie and they're trying to find a story later. I think NYU really welcomes people like that and I think a lot of the films have kind of spoken for themselves. And will people be able to support the film after the crowdfunding campaign? What's the rollout plan that you have? Yeah, so it's all in the way of being funded and we have some stretch goals after initial funding, so for the campaign itself, but also we have things set up also for investments and we have a working of a fiscal sponsor for tax deductible donations, for larger donations that are all set up you know, through our email, gettershortfilm at gmail.com for more information, kind of staying in touch and we'll have a website and more places to kind of reach and connect with the film once the crowdfunding ends and going into production and post and kind of the process of shooting in August and post over the next four or five months with kind of having the film starting to come together around the winter. Awesome. And do you have an idea, like a dream of how you plan on rolling it out? where you'd like to screen it and all of that? Yeah, I mean, the hope is probably to premiere in Israel, in Jerusalem Film Festival or Tel Aviv. And then from there, take the film to the many places where it can be accompanied with Q&As and, and places for discussion and a ways to, you know, facilitate conversation about the movie you just saw. And hopefully kind of, I think the festivals that we're targeting are places that part of that is in their motto and message and kind of they screen films with the hope of like the stories they're about, less so the technical elements of them. But yeah, the hope is kind of start in Israel and bring it out to anywhere, anyone in the world who wants to play it. That's awesome. And we'll get a copy. And then finally, did you have any advice for any independent filmmakers out there now? Like thinking about the kid doing comedy in the Bay Area right now, wondering whether he should go to film school, who listens to this and thinks, oh, should I? Like, do you have any advice for that that kid? The one thing I'd say, and it's even with the concept of taking on debt, I was very, very, very lucky that parents supported me and also like a fail safe. Like I, I was not doing it with uh, the huge degree of risk a lot of some of my friends and the people right. I know who want to pursue this career are taking on. And it's it's a thing that I think if you decide to do is like incredibly brave and commendable all on its own. Like it's, 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 I think, a really beautiful thing. And I really believe that anybody who takes the step to like try to make art is a opening that is making legitimizing that decision to a whole other era of people. Um, and I think you don't, have to, you don't have to become Scorsese to have a really big impact on the next Scorsese. And I really stand by that. And I think if you're, the thing I always say is you will never, ever regret going for it in any capacity. In film school specifically, every single article I read said, you know, it's up to the individual person. And I hated hearing that. So I'll say for me specifically, as someone who didn't want to go and who was stuck and also COVID had kind of come in. So I didn't really know what to do. Going to film school, I went for a year and made instant the people who I work with forever and who were my age and who were as hungry as I was, which is much harder to find outside of that capacity. And it does not have to be a place like NYU at all. Any place where you're in a film school program with a professor who wants to teach what they're teaching, you'll find another kid who has the same hunger and then it's exponential. You're so much, you're not 2X, you're you know, you're squared when you have that person around you to push you. And if if you can have access to that, maybe it's not for film, maybe you know someone else already in high school and then like, yeah, see you against the world. And maybe you use that within yourself. You can just motivate yourself. But if you have the option to find those people, even for a year, it's been, I've been very, very grateful for all the people that I've gone to work with. Awesome. 
Well, Matan, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the First Time Go podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the First Time Go podcast. The goal is to make life a little easier for independent creators. So if you're with me for that, give the pod a five-star review wherever you download your podcast. Early access to episodes and other subscription benefits are available on Patreon and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to be highlighted on the show, please send an email to ben at firstgopod.com. And let's help creators get their first time go.